Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join all you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Was at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. I had the opportunity of speaking with my good friend and best-selling novelist, Jeff Rovin. You may remember Jeff from the previous conversations we have had. Jeff is the author of the popular Tom Clancy thrillers that you well know. But beyond Tom Clancy, my friend Jeff Rovin is an all-around brilliant guy who's very knowledgeable on a wide variety of topics, from martial arts to Eastern philosophy, religion, science, poetry, art. He's a student of history. Why don't you listen to what Rovin and Savage have to say on the state of our union. I know you're going to love this conversation. I could call it something else, like a conversation with remarkable men, but that would be too self-serving, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm not known for that. But it actually is a conversation between two remarkable men, incidentally. And we went into a lot of topics, truthfully. We touched on a lot of things, not just the news of the day, but uh, many, many other topics were touched upon and I think you're going to love it because we go around and about in ways that you don't hear anymore. True conversation is a lost art, but you're going to hear true conversation today on the Michael Savage podcast. Thank you for listening. Dr. Rovin, I presume. I'm here. You know what I'm going to do? We're going to be two guys chatting. So I'm going to finish, yeah. I'm going to finish my cheese and tomato sandwich while we're talking like we're talking over a bagel. <laughs> To make it even more natural. Would you care for a bite? I'll do a Donald Trump. Are you hungry? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Didn't he offer you a Diet Coke or something? He offered me a hot dog. Ah. His valet brought him two hot dogs on Air Force One, and I hadn't eaten. I was starving. I didn't say a word, of course. I was awed flying on Air Force One. And he sees my eyes, which darted at a hot dog, and he's so sensitive. He says, would you like one? I said, sure. And he says, mustard or ketchup? You know, you could tell a man by the little things, Jeff, not the big things. There was a video of of, of President Trump uh, running after a Marine's hat that had blown off. Oh, my at, God. At the foot of the stairs from of, of Air Force One. The fact that he would just run off and grab the guy's hat because he's busy saluting and can't move. It just said so much about him. He sees everything and he's totally maligned. Hated for the wrong reasons. So, you know, we're supposed to talk. You and I are going to talk about whatever. I, did you see the video of Biden freezing up the other day on the yeah. stage? You mean now, when he was lost wandering off the stage? Yeah. Now, Doctors will tell you this is second year medical school, classic Parkinsonian dementia. 
is what he has. The, 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 the Frankensteinian gait, the hands thrust straight forward and the frozen expression. I'm going to ask you, how long can this go on in this country where they say the king has no clothes? Until after the election. You think that they'll, they'll walk him off? It depends on what happens in Congress. If, if Republicans uh, take, well, certainly we can hope for um, the House. But if they take both, then he's he's got no future. He's going to be investigated. Um, what? You mean Trump will be? No, I mean, I meant uh, Biden, because oh, you're right. asking how long, how long can he endure? He can't. He he absolutely can't. If they fail to take Congress, they'll, the, then his handlers will keep him propped up for as long as possible. You don't forget um, when when Kamala is promoted, she can only run again one time, depending on when they put her into office. So he's got to hold on until January 20th of 23. Why? Because then she can run twice after this. Yeah. Yeah. If she takes if she takes office before the 20th, then she can only run one more time. Not that she would win. But in any case, um, anyway, how are you? What's what's going on? Um, It's a narrowing tunnel. I feel like I'm in a narrowing tunnel. I've never seen the world getting so small and so much smaller. Yeah. With almost no hope. And there's no opposition. There is no two party system. The Republicans are silent on a virtually every cultural front. So I I, um, was on Newsmax TV last night and I jumped on the story of you can't say mom and dad in the Air Force. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. And you and I both know who's behind this. It's a small cadre of extremist deviants. I don't know what other word to use. If I was not benevolent, I'd say perverts, but I'd just say deviants. And they've actually grabbed the Air Force by the balls. Why is there no opposition to them? I said the, the main reason they targeted the Air Force is because that's mainly white heterosexual Christian men go into the Air Force who can fly airplanes. There's no two ways about it. I know it's true. And they're from the South. Thank you. Yeah. So those are the people. And, and I saw today that there are in the military now, there are clubs that cisgendered males, in other words, straight men, are not permitted to apply to. Jeff, we know this is insane. I saw another story that shocked me. Karen had posted on michaelsavage.com this morning. I said, I got to ask Jeff about this. I'll just read the headline. Sure. Germany, Greens plan to ban native Germans from a third of jobs to promote diversity. (laughs) And the woman who's doing it is a Turkish immigrant who's now trying to take over the country. This is so typical of what happens when you give a hand to some of these people from the third world, the minute yes. they are given a hand, they'll take an arm. So you say, how did the Germans tolerate this? How, what happened to Germany? Where are the men? <laughs> what happened? If, you know, people have been cowed into silence. You know that as well as I, I do. am. I'm, I'm silent. Well, but, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, 
silence in terms of our access to the media. And uh, there's silence in terms of our neighborhood and community. Correct. And, um, right. you know, we we who have access to the former cannot afford to say nothing. You mean all it takes is um, silence of a few good men? Absolutely. Let's go to Germany. Germany Green's plan to ban native Germans from a third of jobs to remote diversity. And it's a Turkish woman in the Green Party to promote diversity in the city of Hanover. They're banning German men from applying for government jobs so they can be given to migrants. The, the first word that came into my mind, and I'm Jewish, is Hitler. I don't know why. I don't know. I do know why, and I do know how. Well, I think anybody, first of all, it's really instructive to go back and watch Triumph of the Will, mm. the, the documentary on the 1934 Nuremberg rallies, huh. because you see a population that is swept up in the cult of personality. But more than that, look at all of the people around Hitler, Goebbels, Hess, Bormann. You see them watching the crowds, watching, watching, watching. So here you've got a minority of men, the, the, the subordinates of Hitler, who are watching everything. And people, whether they're performing for the camera or they really believe the, the excitement and enthusiasm, um, it's difficult to say. But then you have armies and armies of youth who are being told the shovel is as important as the gun and they're marching, they're goose stepping with shovels and everybody is being mobilized along the, the lines set by Hitler and his people. So you wonder how many people just get carried along by that wave of enthusiasm and positivity towards, in that case, a national identity or just because they're unhappy with who they are. And what we're seeing here right now is the reverse of that in many ways. We, we are not seeing nationalism. We're seeing a complete fracturing of our national identity. identity. You and I have, have spoken of this, about this before, and we've written about it. We used to, when it came to immigrants and, and migration, immigration, um, you were... An American for 364 days a year. Mm. You are a hyphenate one day a year, mm. Polish American, Irish American, Italian American. You had a parade and then you went back to being American. Interesting. That has been completely flipped. 365 days, you are something else. And what you're expecting is that whoever you are, the rest of us are supposed to cheerlead your choices, mm. whatever that is. And that is just bullying. It's wrong. It's anti-American. We should have a choice whether to support people or not. And we don't have that choice anymore as a nation. Now, is this because Biden is senile and weak and the far left has gotten control of the of the Democrat Party? Well, or certainly. Because, or is certainly, it the national Jeff or is it the national will itself? Oh, it is not the national will. You and I both know that. I, I, I don't know where Mr. Moderate Biden has gone or if he ever was truly that. 
but he's so clearly being manipulated now and and the the agenda of the administration is being directed not by him um, who who's running it is it occasional cortex now the, econ- uh, no, the economy no, no, i don't the economy is no, being I, run by bernie sanders that crook that crooked communist well, you've got you've got Susan Rice, you've got you've got the the inner circle who have the old Obama agenda uh, fully functioning. And so um, you could say, well, actually, in a way, Barack Obama has um, has set this administration in motion. Well, I keep reading that, but I think it's way beyond Obama. I, I don't think Obama, who's now a very wealthy man, with his fingers in many capitalist pies, wants to see the economy collapse because he knows he'll get he'll get swept up in the loss as well. He's a very happy fat cat right now. Him and Michelle made hundreds of millions of dollars in in office and right after office. Right. But we're talking about the Obama agenda that began in 2008 and continued to 2016. Mm -hmm. And it's as if it's as if President Trump was a blip in that. Yes. Pause. And now it's picked up again from the 2016 point. I'm not saying that Obama's directing it. What I said was that he he put it in motion simply by his actions. Well, how many books did I write? Trickle down tyranny, trickle up poverty. uh, Other titles that relate to what you are suggesting. Um, The one title that's evading me right now, I want to quote my own title. It's a very well-known phrase. And it isn't God faith in it. It's scorched earth. Scorched earth, yeah. Scorched yeah. earth. Ryan Mayer, please have scorched earth. To me, they are practicing a scorched earth policy. Take no prisoners. Um, at all costs, smash the agenda through because there's no opposition. They're on a blitzkrieg against America and everything it stands for. That's true. The, the, the blitzkrieg part is true. Um, scorched earth, as, as we're going to end up seeing in Ukraine, doesn't leave much to plant and grow in its aftermath. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now you touched on a topic I'm dying to talk about. I've been waiting on it, which is Ukraine-Russia <laughs> nuclear war. But I want to read a paragraph um, from Scorched Earth. In my book, Government Zero, I warn that our nation is in danger from two forces, liberals and their progressive agenda and radical Islamists with their murderous visions of jihad. Each group is working towards similar ends to destroy Western civilization and remake it in their own respective images of socialism and Sharia law. Sharia law has moved way off the, uh, the stove. We hear nothing about Islam. Is that because they've stopped or because they have the Islamists stopped trying to take over America? Or is it because they have taken over so many aspects of America? Well, look at look at it. it it's not. It's not gone radio silent. If you if you remember just a couple of days ago, there was the woman who was beaten to death in in uh, uh, Iran for not wearing um, the headscarf. And then there was uh, there was a lot of courage shown by the citizens for protesting that. Um, and it was, you know, uh, government flunkies who did the uh, who administered the beating. Um, there's there's silence right now. Probably because the terrorists don't want our border closed. They don't want to scare people into preparing for an attack. But if and when it were to come, uh, everything is is in place, presumably. Um, but again, it's it's 
that's that's mere speculation. We don't know, certainly through the media, what's going on over there. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Well, you touched on several topics that we have to talk about. And I'm not going to talk about um, the cultural revolution that's going on, which is akin to the communist Maoist revolution, the Red Guards. We, we know it's the Red Guards or the equivalent running this country right now. That's who's running this country. That's who's dictating Biden's policies are the equivalent of the Red Guards. And it's you mean the, the, one that, the, the one that Joseph McCarthy warned against. And what terrifies me is that is that I actually just quoted somebody who was a demagogue and uh, whose whose purge of um, of so-called communists in the 1950s so horrified uh, a lot of people in this nation who were scared into silence to protest. You know, it took it took two very courageous Jews to break that blacklist. Ooh. Kirk Douglas, Kirk Douglas and Otto Preminger. Wait, wait, wait back me up. What did Kirk Douglas have to do with that? Kirk Douglas produced Spartacus. Yeah. And hired Dalton Trumbo, the foremost blacklisted writer to, to write the film, to write the film. In 1960, Otto Preminger hired Dalton Trumbo to write Exodus. So the two of them together effectively broke the blacklist. Now you got you got me coming and going because the blacklist was actually correct. They were communists. Yeah, yes. These people either were had been affiliated with the Communist Party or supported, you know, one generation removed communist uh, ideology. They were subversives. And McCarthy tried to point out that they were active in Hollywood and academia. And as a result, he was crucified the way trump is being crucified for different reasons right but they cast the net so wide that if you didn't if you didn't name names of people who were even just peripheral to this uh, uh to this uh, search uh then you then you were blacklisted there were people who were gray listed like henry fonda and edward g robinson who uh certainly in the case of robinson he was he was repentant and got the help of john wayne who edward g robinson edward g robinson to get back in the business to get hired again so what list what list would i be on i mean what list am i on now i'm not on the the hot list because i kind of moved off the mainstream i'm just doing some podcasts and some newsmax tv i'm no threat to them why is it that some very prominent vocal appearing conservatives get away with saying anything they want. Are they not controlled opposition? I won't have to name names, but they're very obviously on Fox News. Yeah, I think that uh, if one were to shut down every voice, then every voice of the so-called opposition, first of all, you would be alienating a huge percentage of the population. Look at the numbers that Fox is doing in the ratings. Look how fast Newsmax is growing. Um, you know, you see that firsthand yourself. When you go on, is there is there anything in the Newsmax organization that says, oh, don't say this or don't say that? No, right, I have 100 so- percent freedom. Well, I mean, it's their show, not mine. And they do ask me what I would like to talk about today and i usually pick a story that i put on michaelsavage.com 
which is the don't say mom, don't say dad in the U.S. Air Force. That's that was right up my alley. But there's topics that we disagree on. I and Newsmax politically, and that would be the Ukraine situation, which I'd like to talk about with you. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that there's a free pass given to, for example, the, through the through the Tom Clancy Op Center novels that I've been writing since 1994. Let me emphasize that people should know again if they've just tuned in to this podcast who Jeff Jeff Rovin is. Jeff wrote many of the Tom Clancy smash best selling books, right? Yeah, but I, I only mention that because uh, not, not to promote the, the novels as such. Well, because it's 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 embarrassing for a man of your of your yeah, caliber. I just you know I, I get I, I get it. You're too high class to promote a book. No, no, no. It's it's not even that. It's it's kind of embarrassing. It's because I I sit here in my office and I write them, and if I actually think that people are going to read them, I would probably stop. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You That's know, very I, funny. I sit here and do my whatever. And I actually don't know who's watching, who's not reading, you know, and then I get a note from my um, and let me blow my horn. You may not know this because I had a meeting with my advertise company the other day and they said you're in the top 10 of all the 3000 shows we represent. Yeah, I saw that. I almost Marvel fell out of my chair and yeah. you're in the top zero five percent of all worldwide. I said, holy God. That means Putin's probably listening. <laughs> I mean, well, somebody somebody over there must be. If it's zero point five percent of all podcasts in the world, including Iceland, I love when you go on the map and it shows you the countries and how many people are downloading it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody in the governments are listening for the leaders to see what all of the leaders of various media are saying, and they give them a sh summary sheet. That's how it works, right? Right. So we can circle back to the point I was making, which is that through the through the Tom Clancy novels that I've written uh, through your your following Newsmax Fox, if everybody were suddenly shut down. All right. There would be so many people who would feel alienated and angry and you might actually trigger what you were trying to prevent, which wait, is wait. So you're saying they haven't shut down the conservative movement. No, not not. Look, there there are there are instances where we've discussed this before. Kate Hartson and her imprint were shut down. Your editor uh, because they published the Donald Trump book. Uh, one of the one yeah, of they the published songs. my books. So Hachette they, didn't want any more. They took in all these woke girls from the universities and they closed down this division that did these great bestsellers. Sure. And it's, you know, it's the same thing against, you know, Woody Allen, uh, because because Dylan You're Farrow putting me is, in the same category as Woody. Well, uh, <laughs> I didn't marry a five year is, I didn't marry a five year old. I was going to say that is such a Hydra headed question that I, you know, I could say he's a fine artist and you're a fine I, artist. I actually love his movies. And the more I've watched them, I think he's a genius. Yeah, absolutely. And so but but the point is, is because he's been tarnished in one area and without any evidence, by the way, because that's been investigated. But because somebody is tarnished in one area, nobody mentions Roman Polanski without rape allegations or or and, and they may well be true. I don't know. What do you think of Knife in the Water, by the way? Everything he did in that period is is extraordinary i mean right up through rosemary's baby and macbeth i mean he he has done some incredible work some of them are remote you look back i watched knife in the water about a year ago which i'd never really watched it was young and i didn't it was too slow and as i became a man and a more mature man and i watched the evolution of that movie knife in the water by polanski i saw what a, a work of genius it is 
But okay, so there is a conservative voice that's allowed to be heard, but it's somewhat controlled because if they close it all down, there'd be an outcry and a reverse reaction. The Savage Nation. It's Savage on Demand. Let's go to, if we can, I'm, I'm really anxious to get your opinion. As a fiction writer and as a brilliant and that, and person who analyzes what's going on, you and I have worked together on so many projects. We're writing the novel together. We're trying to stop World War III. We're trying to stop a nuclear war. Putin is backed into a corner. What actually now today, the idiots in the Defense Department say there could be a nuclear war. They're salivating over it. They're getting ready to have to- a good time in the bunker. What, what the hell's going on, Jeff? Well, first of all, the the prospect of a nuclear war is is remote. Um, and let's let's look at what it takes to launch a nuclear arsenal. We are we have been watching Russia for scores of years and there have been no indications that Putin is moving to launch missiles. Wait, wait, to- wait, wait, I have to jump in. Russian state TV tells viewers nuke war likely risk of unprecedented disaster. Vlad tests Chernobyl missile with unlimited range. Right. Well, what is, but we would see we would see those things getting rolled out. It's not something that you do overnight. You have to you have to marshal the personnel to do it. You have to you have to get the, the hardware and the software organized and then go ahead and do that. Wait, wait, I have to read the article. Putin is rushing through the testing of his deadly mystery hypersonic nuclear missile with an unlimited range. According to chilling new satellite images, the Burevestnik Nuclear powered cruise missile dubbed a flying Chernobyl actually was reportedly spotted this month at a testing site in a remote area of northern Russia. And there's pictures of it. What, what is what is he doing? What, what he's doing is putting on a military theater. Of course, he knows we're watching that. And of course, he knows this information is going to get out. But it doesn't mean that anything is ready to go. It doesn't mean that China is ready to launch the the reality is, is Ukraine probably ends up as it should have ended up, and I'm not talking about my opinion, I'm talking about just uh, in terms of the geopolitical landscape, Putin was going to get what he wanted, which was certain sections of the country where there's a heavy Russian population and Russian sympathizers, et cetera, et cetera. He has got to save face. Zelensky wait, wait. has got to save face. They're Zel- save Zel- face. Zelensky is a pimple on someone's ass as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but it does it that that. But he has been made into the public face. Of yes. The now, right. The idiots now think he's Churchill. I get it. This vulgar comedian. OK, right. Exactly. So each of these individuals, Putin and Zelensky, has to, has to save face. And what that means is they're going to get what they would have had if this had never happened. We so, are so what, good. Wait, wait, if if, if Putin gets the russian speaking regions as part of russia again and ukraine loses them what does ukraine get out of that ukraine survives ukraine survives putin went in there expecting to crush this this nation easily handily and it didn't happen the resistance has been fierce the international support whether justified or not has been substantial but Take a step back now. Look at this region since, good Lord, the mid 19th century, when the when the light brigade rode in on the, uh, mm. on the in the Crimean War, which was, again, Russia. And who, who were they fighting? The Ottoman Empire, uh, Britain, France. 
this area has been in contention for, you know, coming on two centuries now. And if you look back to World War One, the entire region, who knows what has happened to Yugoslavia, to Czechoslovakia, to the Prussians? Everything is has fallen apart, has changed in waves. We we tend to look at these things in terms of today. Oh, this is horrifying today. But forgetting what has been happening for the last hundred years. Right. Putin will end up with those sections that he wanted. Meanwhile, tens of thousands of people have been murdered. Uh, millions have been displaced. A nation has been ravaged. And the conversations that we should have had before all of this so-called diplomacy will finally be had. Why has there been no diplomacy? I, I've never lived through a time where there's been international tension where there has not been diplomacy, whether it was Israel, where the war was stopped in six days with diplomacy. Why is there no diplomacy? Is the military industrial complex so powerful that diplomats have been sidelined? Well, and by the way, don't forget the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was ended with diplomacy. It wasn't ended with a blockade. It was it was ended with the administration, the Kennedy administration, agreeing to take missiles out of Turkey. Uh, so so what what has happened is we, we did not talk as a world in this particular situation. Why was that? Why? Why? Well, because you know, you mentioned the military-industrial complex. There, there are there are truths in, for example, why did we leave all of that material and ordinance in Afghanistan? Mm. Well, because then you have to order eight billion dollars more, more, right? And it was old equipment that. to them. They wanted to order the new stuff. We need we need next generation, and that's material. why they're sending to Ukraine the stuff we have so they can build new stuff. Sure. And there's a shelf life to to ammunition. There's a shelf life to all of this stuff. Mm. Now, I'm not again, that is not a judgment because we're not in a position of of having to upkeep the entire military of the United States or any other nation. Um, this is a, this is an ugly reality of um, of waging war. You need up to the minute cutting edge working equipment. We've seen that the Russians don't have that. Uh, certainly a lot of their tanks and, uh, and other um, armaments have, have not worked uh, that well. Um, and but wait, wait, I need to I need to interject. You're, you're yeah. far more expert on military hardware than I am. I've studied Russian military history to a, some extent as an amateur. I've seen this act before where the opposition thought Russia was defeated. And then suddenly, out of the fucking north, there come legions of Russian soldiers in white clothing through the snow with tanks that they didn't know Russia had coming out of these underground factories in the Urals. And they knock Germany into the into the toilet bowl. Well, this goes back to Alexander Nevsky and the Swedes and the Teutonic Knights back in uh, what was it? The uh, the the 12th or 13th century, Um, the the. I would never underestimate. It goes back to Napoleon, too. You'd never underestimate the Russians. Right. It's sort of like it's sort of like General Grant in the American Civil War. Let's just throw bodies at the problem. And huh. Russia's got a lot of bodies to throw at. This. But aren't the bodies now reacting and saying we're not? Hell no, we won't go. It's their well, Vietnam. Some of, sure. Some of them. Some of them. I mean, I, again, 
We don't know the degree to which the Russian population has been silenced. Out of yes. Fear. Yeah. It's all propaganda either way. And, and we don't know what the opposition really is in Russia, whether it's a small number or a large number. And they're glorifying how the whole country's turned against Putin. I don't believe a word of it. Yeah. And could well, because we don't know what the situation is in our own country. How are we supposed to know uh, about Russia? We don't know how many you know, what what Spiro Agnew called the silent majority. We don't know how many of you and me there are who <laughs> do not care about the public forum and gender fluidity and pronouns and this, that and the other thing. That's not a critique of an individual. It's a critique of a movement that really isn't a movement. <laughs> it's just a couple of people who expect us to support everything they do, just like they're no longer uh, child molesters. What are they calling them? Uh, minor attracted person. Oh, come on. That's a new one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Haven't, this is this has been around for a couple of months. Child now. molesters. They, now watch, Jeff. I'm sorry. I missed the, the lexicon. Yeah, they have to. They're, they're trying to destigmatize mm. um, uh, the, these individuals. And so the maps uh, minor attracted persons is the new uh, minor attracted persons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, OK, I have to stop because I know th this is a there's a limit to everything. There was if a, there's a father around with a gun. He's going to kill a minor attracted person who touches his child. Right. Right. That's well, what he's going to. He doesn't give a what the government tells him. No, but who was killed? Who has who has attacked or killed or whatever? The the guy who ran over the 18 year old conservative and killed him. And I'm not saying that we should go out and, and hunt this man down. But the fact that he was released without bail is horrifying. Well, of course, that, that's the new world um, communist uh, new world order. Well, but look, communism would do the opposite. People would be thrown into gulags and prisons. Yes. Well, that's, that's happening what, in well, China. Here be, well, so here they're being run down. Well, they, no, look, let, let's face it. Biden said, go out and do it. Maxine Waters has been screaming, go out and do it. Well, did you see, by the way, that after Stacey Abrams said the um, that uh, the heartbeat thing? Yeah. Did you see that Planned Parenthood changed the definition no, on no. their on their website? Stacey Abrams had the audacity to say that a heartbeat in, in a in a in, a, um, in an Fakes. embryo is not a heartbeat. Yeah. What did she say was fake? It, it was something that that men invented to get control over women's bodies. How do you invent a heartbeat? Well, because I, and, and I, I would have to look for it and find it quickly. But um, Planned Parenthood has now redefined what that heartbeat is. Basically, they're saying it's it's a proto heartbeat. It's not yet a heart. Oh, a proto heartbeat. That okay. would be like saying a child is a proto adult. So you do what you want with it. That's well. But isn't that what they've been saying? Oh. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. I look, I've been looking through Brave New World again, and I'm finding Huxley's genius again. Well, yeah, you mean, you mean anesthetizing the population? It's, it's, it's so. I carry this around for terrifying. you, Jeff. It's, it's yeah. so filled with what's going on. Stuff that got me crazy. Hypnosoma. Soma. Soma. 100 repetitions, three nights a week for four years, thought Bernard Marx, who was a specialist in hypnopedia. 62,400 repetitions make one truth. Idiots, he wrote. 
Yeah. Or the caste system constantly proposed, constantly rejected. There was something called democracy as though men were more than physical, chemically equal. Then the okay, nine me, years war began in AF 141. We, let's let's get back to Huxley in a minute. Uh, I found the plan, <laughs> I, let's, I found the Planned Parenthood thing and, and talk about new speak and 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 language being being yep. twisted and contorted. What it said before was what happens during week five to six, a very basic beating heart and circulatory system develop. Now it says a part of the embryo starts to show cardiac activity. It sounds like a heartbeat on an ultrasound, but it's not a fully formed heart. It's the earliest stages of the heart developing. So they have now twisted themselves excuse me, into linguistic denial that it's a heart. Jesus. Okay, Jeff, where does this go? You're a fiction writer and a brilliant guy. My mind cannot project anymore the arc of where this goes. When does, does it, does, does finally a brick wall, do they hit a brick wall? Or is this brick wall imaginary? There is no brick wall anymore. Six Semper Tyrannus. Tyrants do not survive. And this has been proven again and again throughout history. We are living in a socialist dictatorship now. You can call it whatever else you uh, want. Amen. But that's, that's, that's what we're in. And Hold again, on. That's the title of today's conversation. We're living in a socialist dictatorship now, quote unquote, Jeff Rovin. But we are. Yeah, that yeah, is what we're living through. Right. The, the question is, which parts of that have merit? The question for, for all Americans should be, what, what parts of that do we retain? But we cannot have that conversation because when, when the social Democrat, socialist Democrats or Democrat socialists don't get their way, they scream and whine and, and attack and cancel and until it's, you become exhausted and you just don't want to. So it's like a, a crazy bunch of children tyrannizing their parents. Well, and I, I have friends tell me in, in, in Manhattan that they're suffering compassion fatigue because they're tired of having feces slung at them oh. by homeless people in the streets oh. and, and cities. Oh. Right. And now, of course, you can say, well, this is this is Governor Abbott's doing. Keep sending us these. Well, again, you wanted to be a sanctuary city. You got it. This is oh, what they were doing that before Abbott sent. The, the this influx to New York. Yes, absolutely true. Absolutely. And look at the crime, the, the numbers of, of attacks. I was going to bring that up the, in the minority crime wave, because that's what it is. It's ever since George Floyd, there was license given to African-Americans va virtually to do whatever the hell they wanted. I know I'm not supposed to say it, but somehow I'm saying it. My tongue is moving. My brain is saying caution. I'm telling you, this is insanity. The well, rapes, the, the murders, the beating, the axes, the picks. The, the punchings, the pushings, the beating up Jews, the beating up Asians. Who's doing it? Well, today, today in uh, the fringes of Hell's Kitchen, uh, or maybe it was yesterday, somebody was eating out at eating at a table outside and um, uh -huh. and somebody came up and hit them with a chair and took their cell phone. And for the first time in probably years, I saw the individual described as dark complexion. Yeah, dark complexion. Right. OK, but yeah. at least. At least there was a mention of it. No, I see dark complexion mentioned all the time. No, do you? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're in San Francisco. No, that no, I see it in the national news. That's like saying oh, there's okay. a there's a faint proto heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, the same use of words. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Okay, the, but the, look, there is a racial element to this crime wave. It's generally African American males beating up other races. Well, if it were white people, they would they would most likely be arrested and condemned. There's again, don't forget now. This is where we get into that that gray area of which parts do we need to understand? Has has have different groups been repressed, suppressed, not given a fair shake, et cetera, et cetera? Okay. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. But does that make them immune to the legal system, whoever these people are? Because I tell people, well, Good Lord, the Jews have gotten a lot of that crap over the years. Yeah, I hate to bring it up. I was born into a poor immigrant Jewish family. No one gave me anything. I knew if I wanted anything in this world, I had to fight like hell every day of my life to create it. And I had to go to school and keep going to school and I had to write books. I had to do radio shows when I didn't want to some days. I had well, to and we it. had to we had to change our name in order that my father could be hired because anti-Semitism. Was, well, what was, was your name in Ukrainian? Uh, well, it was Rovinsky. Rovinsky, of course. Right. You know, I and, looked up the origin of, of uh, my family name of W.E.I.N.E.R. Weiner. Right. And in, in the uh, German communities, it was V.A.Y.N.E.R. Weiner, Weiner, phonetic. And what it meant was Vintner. So that's the right, reason I drink so much. <laughs> no, I'm, apparently there's been a long history of, of making wine in the family, which explains okay. my love for half a bottle of wine every night. But it means Weiner. You yeah. talk about ridicule. You got morons like uh, in the in the in this on social media continue to ridicule my name like, you know, like I heard in grade school here. I'm an 80 year old man and I still see on social media. We know, we know, we know. Can you imagine people still do that? It was, you know, it's unbelievable to me that this is permitted on social media, this stupidity. Well, and I think social media has to be absolutely um, controlled to save the world. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first part of my interview with Jeff Rovin, a conversation between two remarkable men. The conclusion is coming up on one of my upcoming podcasts, the second part of this interview. In this podcast, Jeff and I touched upon the late Aldous Huxley, Brave in the World, you know that one, right? I want to share this great recording we found which includes a 1958 interview with aldous huxley it was recorded over 60 years ago and what huxley said then his predictions will simply startle you about how far we have fallen right here on the michael savage podcast aldous huxley predicted the horrible nightmarish world that we live in in his book brave new world which most of us heard about he talked about a few things, and so we went back into the archives and pulled a show that I featured years ago, an interview that Aldous Huxley actually did in 1958. Believe it or not, we have his voice live, not my show, but him live, where Huxley talked about technology, propaganda, and the use of mind-altering drugs, which we're going to listen to. I searched through my book, Brave New World, and I found some things that I had marked with post-its. And one of them was this, where they're having a dialogue. And uh, he writes this, sleep teaching was prohibited in England. At the time, there was something called liberalism. 
Parliament, if you know what that was, passed a law against it. But the record survived. Speeches about liberty were banned because liberty was found to be inefficient and miserable. Freedom was said to be a round peg in a square hole. This is what he wrote back when he wrote Brave in the World, which is why it's a classic. It was so chillingly predictive of Joe Biden. Published in 1932, predicting the nightmarish world that this senile old bum is pushing on us. On page 48 of Brave in the World, he talks about a savage reservation. Did you know that? A savage reservation where they put the equivalent of MAGA people into reservations who wouldn't conform to the brave in the world. Did you know about that? Hmm? You didn't know about the regular use of Soma on people? The regular use of contraceptives given to people? And then he writes about this. There was a thing, as I've said before, called Christianity. Did you know about that? All crosses had their tops cut off and became T's. There was also a thing called God. We have the world state now and Ford's Day celebrations and community sings and solidarity services. How I hate them, said Bernard Marx. He has a character called Bernard Marx. And then he talks about euphoric, narcotic, pleasantly hallucinant. That's the uh, drugs of today that people are on. They gave the people drugs to keep them calm. And he's had a saying in it. And do remember this, that a gram is better than a dam. They went out laughing. That's a gram of Soma. They kept the population constantly drugged. That's Biden's unbrave new world. Let's listen to Aldous Huxley and maybe you'll learn something. Mike Wallace interviewed Aldous Huxley in 1958. And you have to see. Well, we went and looked it up. And the, the wonderful team I have went and dug it up for me. The actual interview from 1958 of one of the great authors of all time, Aldous Huxley. You may know him from his novel, Brave New World. Maybe you know him from other novels. I was so enamored of his writing that I read every book he ever wrote and every article he ever wrote. I went to England, as a matter of fact, when I was still able to go there. And I went into some great library in London and I found magazine articles that Huxley had written on furniture, of all things, and on architecture. You know, when you fall in love with an author, you read everything they write. Do you know that or not? I did. And I came out actually enjoying him more than ever. His brother was also a brilliant man. Julian Huxley was a biologist. Brilliant family. But Huxley uh, predicted things about the time we are living in, in that 1958 interview by Mike Wallace. The guys put together a phenomenal couple of segments for us on Aldous Huxley predicting the world that we are living in. Now, again, it's not just braving the world with the alphas, betas, gammas, and deltas. We know who the deltas are. That would be occasional cortex. That would be Rashida Tlaib. That would be that group. Those are the deltas out of Brave New World who think that they're the alphas, but they're lower than the, de- the, the betas, lower than the deltas. They're actually the gammas. And the gammas are the loudest in the crowd. And so uh, here's what I promised you. Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, predicted the world we live in. Drugs, brainwashing, tech fascism. To be discussed today on the Savage Nation with original sound of Aldous Huxley. Many of you read Brave in the World in high school or college and kind of dismissed it. But I wouldn't be that dismissive. In 1958, Mike Wallace, who was the father of, uh, I called him Meatball, and the junior, Meatball Jr. is Chris Wallace, the snide, sneering one. But at least Wallace did occasionally a good show. He did. He was a good interviewer. And he interviewed Aldous Huxley in 58, and he asked Huxley, as you see it, who and what 
are the enemies of freedom here in the United States. In other words, he was it was a leading question. Huxley didn't take the bait. And he said, I don't think you can say who in the United States. I don't think there are any sinister persons that are deliberately trying to rob people of their freedom, he said. But he said there are a number of technological devices which anybody who wishes to use can use to accelerate the process of giving of, of going away from freedom of imposing control. Here is Aldous Huxley in his own words in 1958 in H1. As you see it, who and what are the enemies of freedom here in the United States? Well, I don't think you can say who in the United States. I don't think there are any sinister persons deliberately trying to rob people of their freedom. But I do think, first of all, that there are a number of impersonal forces which are pushing in the direction of less and less freedom. And I also think that there are a number of technological devices which anybody who wishes to use can use to accelerate this process of going away from freedom, of imposing control. Mm, was that ever, was that ever uh, correct? Technological devices. So what was he talking about in 1958? Television, radio, but mainly television at that time. Remember, the computer wasn't really readily available to the average person. God only knows what he would have thought of children walking around with iPhones in their cribs, right? In H2, he talks about technology as it becomes more and more complicated. Let's hear that one. Well, another force which I think is very strongly operative in this country is the force of what may be called over-organization. Uh, as technology becomes more and more complicated, it becomes necessary to have more and more elaborate uh, organizations, more hierarchical organizations. And incidentally, the advance of uh, technology has been accompanied by an advance in the science of organization. It's now possible to make organizations on a larger scale than was ever possible before. And so that you have more and more people living their lives out as subordinates in these hierarchical systems controlled by bureaucracies, either the bureaucracies of big business or the bureaucracies of big government. You hear this? Now, he refers in the next clip, this is Aldous Huxley in 1958, interviewed by Mike Wallace, about Hitler and how Hitler used uh, technology and terror to get where he was. Listen to H3. Well, there are certainly devices which can be used in this way. I mean, let us uh, take uh, a piece of very recent and very painful history is the uh, propaganda used by Hitler, which was incredibly effective. I mean, let, what were Hitler's methods? Hitler used terror on the one kind, brute force on the one hand, but he also used a very efficient uh, form of, uh, of propaganda, which... Uh, uh, he was using every modern device at that time. He didn't have TV, but he had the, the radio, which he used to the fullest extent, mm -hmm. and was able to uh, impose his will on an immense mass of people. I mean, the Germans were a highly educated people. Hmm. The Germans were a highly educated people. That, of course, is one of the great tragedies of civilization, which is that probably the most advanced civilization on the earth at the time the the german people and incredible music and art and science became the most terrible on the planet because they used advanced technology to kill people especially in the the killing machines of the death camps uh it's amazing what happened in that country at that time he then talks about the communist countries 
in a clip. Let's jump to H5. Listen to this one. Well, at present, the television, I think, is being used uh, quite harmlessly. It's being used, I think, uh, I would feel it's being used too much to distract everybody all the time. But, I mean, imagine, which must be the situation in all communist countries, where the television, where it exists, is always saying the same thing the whole time, is always driving along. It's not creating a wide front of distraction. It's creating a one-pointed... Uh, drumming in of a single idea all the time. It's obviously an immensely powerful instrument. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, and CNN always saying the same thing the whole time without mentioning the T word? It's around the clock propaganda against the President of the United States. This is absolutely an example uh, of that. Now, what about pharmacology? Remember, in the late 50s, the psychoactive chemicals that most of you are on today didn't exist. What drugs were women and men on in the 50s? If a person was nervous or anxious, they probably took a type of Milltown or Librium called Amepribamate, which was very similar to the, the phenobarbital type of drugs. And many housewives were hooked on a meprobamate or Milltown and Librium, and they would down it with a glass of wine. They were stoned most of the time. Not many, quite a few, and you don't know that. But that was about it. Then there were the bennies being given out by um, uh, diet doctors in New Jersey and other places to the to the wives who felt they were uh, didn't look like Marilyn Monroe. Uh, so they were hooked on, on Benzedrine, and they were psychotic from that. But the kind of drugs that Americans are on today were not even conceptualized at that time. The SSRIs, for example, for good and for bad, for better or for worse, they can be life-saving, don't get me wrong. They can make people's lives tolerable where they're intolerable. But there's been a lot of homicides and suicides tied to these SSRIs as an unexpected side effect of constantly playing with the serotonin levels in a person's brain. So Huxley predicted the pharmacology that was coming in clip six. Listen to this. And I think it's quite on the cards that we may have drugs which will profoundly change uh, our mental states uh, without doing us any harm. I mean, this is the, the pharmacological revolution which has taken place, that we have now powerful mind-changing drugs which, physiologically speaking, are almost costless. I mean, they are not like opium or like coca, uh, cocaine, which... Uh, do change the state of mind, but to leave terrible results physiologically and morally. Hmm. Did you hear that little piece about cocaine? That's 1958 now, in an interview by Mike Wallace, who was a phenomenal interviewer, incidentally. Let us see what he says in number seven about drugs. I want to hear that one. In regard to the use of the, of the drugs, we know there's enough evidence now for us to be able, on the basis of this evidence, and using a certain amount of creative imagination, to foresee the kind of uses which could be made in a, uh, by people of bad will with these things, uh, and to attempt to, to forestall this. And in the same way, I think with these other methods of uh, propaganda, we can foresee and we can do a good deal to forestall. I mean, after all, the, um, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. The price of freedom, my friends, of the savage nation is eternal vigilance. That's certainly not his original statement, but he saw what was coming. Not finally for the day, but finally for this segment. 
in uh, I believe in, in clip seven. He talks about drugs again. Let's hear. Did we play seven? Yes. So let's go to number eight. I think this is a great one. Now, I think what is going to happen in the future is the dictators will find, as the old saying goes, that you can do everything with bayonets except sit on them. That if you want to preserve your power indefinitely, you have to get the consent of the ruled. And this they will do, partly by drugs, as I foresaw in, uh, in Brave New World, partly by these uh, new techniques of, uh, uh, of propaganda. Uh, they mm -hmm. will do it by bypassing the sort of rational side of man and appealing to his uh, subconscious and his uh, deeper emotions and uh, his physiology even. Mm -hmm. And so making him actually love his slavery. I mean, I think this is the danger, that actually people may be in some ways happy under the new uh, regime, but they will be happy in situations where they oughtn't to be happy. You hear? Happy as slaves. Happy little slaves, all because of brainwashing and the use of drugs. Now, if you read Brave in the World in high school or college, which many of you uh, have read, you remember the society was being uh, created in laboratories. I, I love that when I first read it in high school. God, did it revolutionize my thinking. And uh, they would alter the embryo and the development of the embryo with outside influences, whether they be a chemical or through stimuli and and they could then create the uh, zygote that they wanted and it could emerge into the human that they wanted whether it would be an alpha uh, human that would be born meaning the highest level of intellect that would be running the society or the beta or the delta or the gamma uh, and the others and it was amazing to read how he foresaw uh, the future of the world. Now, have we gotten to the Alpha, Beta, Delta, and Gamma? I think when you listen to some of the dumbest people in the history of the world in Congress, you have to say to yourself, how did so many Deltas and Gammas wind up in Congress? You have to ask yourself that question. The answer is, take a look at the districts they're in. They're largely non-English speaking. Yes, I will say it. Districts where the people do not even understand the language of the land. They are, uh, you take a, a occasional court, Texas district in Queens, for example, 55% of it are illegal aliens who should never have been able to vote to begin with. Most of them do not read or speak English. They don't even know what the heck she is talking about. All they know is that she's young and she has two Hispanic last names. And so they vote for any of her crazy uh, statements. This is the danger that we are in. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Democracy depends on the individual voter making an intelligent and rational choice for what he regards as his enlightened self-interest in any given circumstance. But what these people are doing, I mean, what both for their particular purposes, for selling goods, and the dictatorial um, propagandists are doing, is to try to bypass the rational side of man and to appeal directly to these unconscious forces below the surface so that you are in a way making nonsense of the whole democratic procedure which is based on conscious choice of, on rational grounds. Aldous Huxley, 1958, interview by Mike Wallace, great interview, and he talked about technology, drugs, dictatorships, propaganda, 
Line one, Rob in San Jose, what's on your mind? Uh, I'm very intrigued by your, uh, your the interview that you know, you're putting out there with Wallace and uh, Huxley, you know, about pharmacology and everything about you know, behavior modification, about, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, societal developments. And I see it happening today. You know, we're trying to be, there's all sorts of behavior modification that you could see that, that there is um, social engineering. It's a very fascinating. I didn't know that he would consider technological devices way back then. And then yes. Yeah, we, See, that's, that's the point of my digging it up. 1958, Mike Wallace, who was a fabulous interviewer. Uh, need I say, I'm not a fan of his son, the snide son there, Meatloaf Jr. But let's leave Meatloaf Jr. out of this equation. Fabulous interview with one of the great minds of, of all time. Uh, a man who's influenced my life deeply because I was terrified when I read Brave the World. Uh, of the thought that in the future, babies would be made in a factory and modified as they were developing in the embryo, embryonic stage uh, through chemicals that were inserted into the developing fetus, etc. Look where we are today. Are we that far from it, Rob? I don't think so. Well, we're not, you know, and I really think that, um, you know, it's really sad that, that, you know, that people are being propagandized in and, and like you said, there's one station or a group of stations that's drilling it. It's got to be Google, too, though. It's got to be. Oh, absolutely. The demons at these these tech companies, when you see them, do I have to name who they are? They're, they're literally demigods. They're demigods, every one of them. And they, they have total and absolute, almost total and absolute control over the society. But it seems also that there's a consortium of people out there who are positioned in the, all the cities, like, let's say, in California and around the country that are a part of this group think, this sort of top echelon of, of trying to, uh, you know, herd the sheeple along and, uh, and get them dumbed down and, and, and pull the wool over their eyes and get them to work like epsilons. You know, down so so you, you read Brave New World, the Epsilon thing, yes? The book. I love that book. Yeah, and it's interesting that he has a character in it called Bernard Marx, who was a specialist on hypnopedia. Wasn't that wonderful that he knew who Karl Marx was and he called him Bernard Marx in there? Well, I, you know, the part of the book that struck me as so appropriate is the Savage Reservation. Do you remember that in the book, Brave New World? There was so it was you know it was uh, such a, a, a for a young person to read that it was mind blowing, and I would love to go back and read it again. I think you should. Everyone listening to this show should read Brave New World for the first time or the tenth time, and pay it, attention particularly to the Savage Reservation, because in many ways we are the Savage Reservation. We're almost the last reservation of people with independent minds left in the media and i thank you for calling that's what i'm trying to get at do you know how close we are to losing our independence completely no matter which side you're on you know how 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 menial most of the discussions are that we engage in do you know how debasing it is to the human mind and consciousness to be so focused on nothingness as politicians with all the ramifications and the importance of politicians they're not the be-all and end-all of existence. In fact, most people go about their daily lives and business without paying much attention whatsoever to politicians. A while ago, I read from The Doors of Perception in Heaven and Hell by Aldous Huxley. We all know Brave New World. And it's funny, I keep both of these books near me when I do the show. And um, in The Doors of Perception in Heaven and Hell, which was 
a book he wrote after taking a, uh, a mushroom trip, which would be masculine, I suppose. He had a whole epiphany. By the way, I met his widow, Laura Huxley, when I was very young. I uh, flew out to Hollywood. I never forget it as long as I live. A photograph of her doorway, the name Huxley on it was magical to me. And I wanted to uh, publish his film scripts, his, his um, un- unproduced film scripts. And she had agreed. It never worked out. I was young and I was filled with ideas. It was an interesting concept to take all of Huxley's film. Maybe someone will take it and do it. I don't really care. I'm past worrying about what anyone does with my ideas. You know, take them and run with them. So I met with her, and I never forget, I went up to um, Mulholland Drive, which is fascinating to me. As a New Yorker at the time, a guy who lived in Manhattan, uh, to go to Los Angeles. I'm talking about what year? I don't even know, 64, 65. I don't remember the year. And then to drive up on Mulholland Drive and see the house with a swimming pool that looked like it was suspended from the sky itself and meet the kid Juan, who was one of the characters in one of the books. It was unbelievable to me to live through that. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So in the book, <clears throat> wait a minute, what did she say to me? I think I could divulge this now that it's coming back to me. I think she published it. I don't know if she only said it to me, Laura Archera Huxley. I think she wrote that she spoke with Aldous after he had passed away through a medium. And uh, she told me, or she wrote, and I can't remember which, that uh, mescaline was not what he thought it was. It was not at all what he thought it would be and what he had written about. He was wrong about it. So, you know, that's something interesting is that he was mistaken about how wonderful it was. So in this book, The Doors of Perception, I'll never forget. I read this during the period to make this very political when um, the Democrats' friends in ISIS were raping, murdering, and blowing things up across the Middle East. You know Bernie Sanders' friends? You know, the Democrat Party, the friends of the Democrats, ISIS, the people they love so much. And I, I was sitting watching news stories of them blowing up churches, blowing up artifacts, blowing up Buddhist temples that were 1,400 years old, and I couldn't believe the world would let this go on. I was enraged that the UN was so worthless that they wouldn't stop these Muslim fanatics. And then I referred to when they got to Palmyra, what they had done in Palmyra, and I read from The Doors of Perception. It's only three paragraphs. Huxley wrote about this, and he's talking about Palmyra, one of the great, great, great places on earth that was partly destroyed by the Muslim fanatics in ISIS because it wasn't sufficiently Muslim. And he wrote this, from glass, stained or cut, we pass to marble and the other stones that take a high polishing can be used in mass. The fascination exercised by such stones may be gauged by the amount of time and trouble spent in obtaining them. At Baalbek, for example, and two or three hundred miles further inland at Palmyra, we find among the ruins columns of pink granite from Aswan. Listen to this now. These great monoliths were quarried in, Upper e- quarried in Upper Egypt, were floated in barges down the Nile, were towed across the Mediterranean to Byblos, or Tripolis, and from thence were hauled by oxen, mules, and men, uphill to Homs, and from Homs southward to Baalbek, or cast across the desert to Palmyra. What a labor of giants! 
and from the utilitarian point of view, how marvelously pointless. But in fact, of course, there was a point, a point that existed in a region beyond mere utility. Polished to a visionary glow, the rosy shafts proclaimed their manifest kinship with the other world. At the cost of enormous efforts, men had transported these stones from their quarry on the Tropic of Cancer, and now, by way of recompense, the stones were transporting their transporters halfway to the mind's visionary antipodes. I've never heard writing like this in my life, nor a vision like this. It's beyond comprehension what we have lost as we have descended into the age of Google. But now this one is a different point of view altogether. Now, before we move on, we have a short period of time here. I want you to listen to Huxley uh, on uh, brainwashing of children. Listen to and tell me, listen to this. When you see them bringing in drag queens into the first grade, when you see them trying to brainwash our children into believing there's more than two sexes, you understand how far this society has collapsed because people are cowards. And they're afraid of the terrorists, the social engineering terrorists. Listen to 11 and 12. Well, I mean, here, okay, this whole question of children, I think, is a terribly important one because uh, children are quite clearly much more suggestible than the average grown-up. And uh, suppose that, uh, that for one reason or another, all the propaganda was in the hands of one or very few agencies. You would uh, have an extraordinarily powerful force playing on these children who, after all, are going to grow up and be adults quite soon. Uh, I do think that uh, this is not an immediate threat, but it, it remains a possible threat. And you can read in the, uh, in the trade journals the most lyrical accounts of how necessary it is to get hold of the children, because then they will be loyal brand buyers later on. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, again, the, you just translate this into political terms. The dictator says they will be loyal ideology buyers when they're grown up. All democracies are based on the proposition that power is very dangerous and that it's uh, extremely important not to let any one man or any one small group have too much power for too long a time. After what are the British and American constitutions except devices for limiting power? And all these uh, new devices are extremely efficient instruments for the imposition of power by small groups over larger masses. Now, that explains how people with very bad intellects, if any intellects whatsoever, do I have to name them? Such as occasional cortex and the entire left-wing brigade of social fascists have gained such a grip on the brainwashed, pharmacologically altered children of America. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.